is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. back to bad boys and beyond we're about to get rainforest sweaty in here keith if you've got a uh a, a safe word you might as well say it right now i'm sure it's spumoni probably welcome to the semi-pro episode of bad boys and beyond we are back at the movies again uh can't can't wait can't wait until next week we got a huge huge show you guys saw it on our Twitter, I just want to thank everybody for your responses and uh, all the nice things that everybody said. We're super excited to have Isaiah Thomas on next week. But until we do that, we're going to Flint. We're going to talk about the Flint Tropics. We're going to talk about Keith's Flint Tropics jersey that he's wearing right now. He's wearing a Jackie Moon jersey as we speak. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit uh, about the Summer League. Keith, what are your thoughts on uh um Oscar Thompson and Marcus Sasser and Jaden Ivy. Right, you can still hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, my picture is frozen. I just wanted to be sure. All right. The uh actually uh, we're well, we're still only two games in uh with the summer league. Uh Asar Thompson, I, I could sense people kind of being disappointed be, uh with him because he didn't score a lot of points and the, the perimeter shots he he did attempt the few that he did take were, uh, had very very ugly results, but I think people are looking at the wrong things. Uh, here's here's the thing with summer league: there are always guys in summer league that will just light it up in Las Vegas, you know, average 20, 30 points, and then when the season starts, they disappear, and people wonder, you know, what what happened to that guy? Well, it's because in an NBA game, there's only a certain amount of shots that can go around, and those are the stars of the teams. And I'm playing in summer league, so yeah, you you can uh, pad your stats in Vegas, but when the NBA season starts, you're going to need to be able to adjust and compress your game in in a winning form that doesn't include taking a lot of shots. Likewise, there are going to be players that struggle in summer league. But when the season starts and they're playing with NBA talent alongside them, they do the little things that translate to winning. And and that to me was what Sar Thompson put on display in the first two, at least in his first two summer league games, played some outstanding, outstanding, terrific defense. It, it's not stuff that pops uh, on the box score, but it's things that the Pistons have lacked for I don't know, 15 years. These are the, the little things that, that win basketball games. His ability to hustle on defense and transition, his ability to uh, have an excellent closeout when it, when a perimeter player stops in a dime and pulls up from 15 feet, uh, his, his ability to, to lunge and actually disrupt the shot. These are the things the Pistons haven't had in forever. So I, I am really excited about that. And his, his ability as a secondary passer, look, Asar is never going to be a, a true point guard, most likely. He he doesn't qu- have quite the handle for that. But it, his ability to be that 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 hockey assist, that the guy that catches the ball from the point guard and then tic tac toes it to another guy that's wide open, uh, that really impressed me in in the first two games. He's still got two, maybe three games left. Uh, one of them being tonight. I, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Uh, on the flip side, uh, before before I continue my uh, my evaluation of of how the Pistons have performed, uh, J- James Wiseman, look, I, he scored a lot of points. He even blocked a couple of shots here and there. I, I saw nothing from him 
absolutely nothing from him that I didn't see at the end of last season. He he still struggles on defense. And when I talk about guys that need to be able to contribute to winning without the ball in their hands, that's James Wiseman. Look, he's not going to be a starter in, in three months. He's going to be coming off the bench. And he'll get some shots, but for the most part, his time on the court is going to be measured by uh, is he rotating properly? Is he playing good enough drop coverage? Is he rebounding uh, the hell out of the ball and not giving up uh, easy, simple offensive rebounds like he did in the second game to, to Houston? Uh, these are all things that he has to to work on. We all know he can score, and I, I think I still think he's a good player with a with a lot of upside, but he really needs to work on the little things. All right. Well, yeah, that's. Um... You know, I was, I was, I was personally impressed by Wiseman, but I can see some of the little things that you're talking about. Uh, you know, it is summer league. Uh, everybody's going to look not like themselves. I mean, some players are going to look really good. Some guys are going to look really bad, and then it'll, you know, it'll flip once the actual season starts. But I really, uh, I, I really was encouraged by what I saw Oscar Thompson do. I think he's a really great defensive player, and and that's what I was looking for from him. Um, would have liked to have seen a little bit more scoring, but, uh, but you could see, you could see the role that he could play on this team. Once things get started, he's a great defender. He can facilitate, he could do a lot of good things. Um, I'm excited to see where that goes. Marcus Sasser, um, you know, in that first game, like he was just pulling up from three and, uh, showing he, he had handle. And I really liked what I saw from him. And I, I think that, that by, by the time the season starts, I think this kid, I think he might have earned himself a, a a role on the on the on the team on the main team. You know, I mean, I know he's a first round pick and he was probably going to earn a role anyways, but I think that he might get himself a role over a guy like Killian Hayes or uh, something like that if they decide to move him. I, I just think that Sasser showed a lot of promise in that game, and I, I'm I'm really interested to see what what becomes of him. Yeah, you you don't trade up for a, an older draft pick like Marcus Sasser that's 22. He's older than Killian Hayes, who's been on the team for three years. You don't trade up for a guy like that unless you're fully intending on him being an immediate contributor. And I think the interesting thing is there's a chance that he may not be simply because uh, Alec Burks, uh, who, who is still on the team, uh, an excellent uh, off-the-bench scorer, I, I think Alec Burks is, is the archetype that Marcus Sasser was drafted to replace, not necessarily Killian Hayes. He's, Marcus Sasser is much more of a, a, a shot-creating two-guard than a point. So I wouldn't get too disappointed. Uh, in fact, I think it's a very uh, real possibility that Marcus Sasser collects some DNPs to start the season simply because there's there's no room for him. But I do believe Alec Burks will get moved eventually, if not the offseason, then before the trade deadline because – uh, in my view, they've drafted his replacement. Uh, but I, I think they definitely see him as an instant contributor when they clear up the minutes to actually play him. So you're probably going to see Sasser play some G League minutes. I don't know how much that would help him because he's going to be taking a lot of shots in the G League and, and you want him to be able to compress uh, compress his production into, into a six-man role. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that playing in the G League would necessarily hurt him, uh, but I think that there's a good likelihood that, look, it, it's easy to to look at a roster and say this guy is the third string center or the, the fourth string shooting guard and he's never going to play. But the thing is, injuries happen, trades happen. We, we don't necessarily know what the roster uh, is going to look like in training camp just yet. I don't think the Pistons are done making moves. I don't think they have any major moves in mind, but I don't think they're done uh, trying to rebalance the roster. So look, if, if nothing changes at all, which I doubt, yeah, I, I think Marcus Sasser might play a few um, G League games to start this, but I wouldn't accept, expect him to stay there. Uh, to, to me, they drafted him because they thought he'd be willing and able to help them win games in the NBA next season. Maybe not in November, but by the end of the season, I, I think they count on him being an important rotation player. Well, speaking of playing in the other league, uh, watch this segue. Watch this segue. 
Speaking of playing in another league, let's talk about another league. Let's let's get into semi-pro today, and uh, let's start it off. I want to talk about the ABA a little bit. Eventually, we'll we'll do like a full show, uh, a full episode that's all about the ABA. But this is a really interesting thing. It's like the only, it's like the only other league. You know, like every every sport has tried to have another league. There was the USFL, the original USFL. Now there's the current one. The XFL twice, three times, actually. Uh, I think basketball, you know, this is like the only one that's ever worked. All right. Well, yeah, but you're forgetting the the, the AFC used to be its own league as well. They, they used to yeah. be the AFL, and they, they did have a merger 10 years before the, the ABA and the NBA merger. The, the AFL was slowly absorbed into the NFL, so it, it has worked before. But even before that, if you want me to get out my history book. Oh, boy. The, the the National Basketball League, uh, which was the league with all the the big arenas in in the the, the major American markets, and then the Basketball Association of America, which was the league with the more talent, quite frankly, with George Mike and uh, those two leagues merged to join the the uh, the NBA to to become the NBA in 1940. Uh, I want to say it was 1948. So this was actually a merger before the merger. Uh, the the NBL was essentially absorbed into the BAA, which is why the BAA statistics still count and the NBLs don't. Which, yeah, I I could go either way with it. Uh, it te- technically cost the Lakers a championship, but it also cost the Pistons three championships. So, uh, you you, you could go either way with it. But it, and we will get into this down the road. Uh, but the Pistons had the themselves uh, were imported from another league and they had a very rich and successful history uh, with multiple hall of famers uh, in that distant past. Uh, So uh, Keith, you grew up in the Detroit area. I grew up in the Detroit area growing up. We had the red wings, pistons, tigers, lions, obviously, but we also had a bunch of, uh, I what, semi-pro teams. Let's just call them semi-pro teams. There was the Detroit Vipers. There was the, uh, Michigan, the Michigan Panthers. Panthers. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the state, there was the West Michigan Whitecaps. They're still they're still around. Uh, there was also the uh, Grand Rapids Hoops, uh, and I guess you could Grand Rapids Rampage if you want to bring arena football into it. How how many of these teams uh, have you gone to see in your in your in your time? Uh, the Detroit Vipers. I, yeah. I, I recall going to see a couple of Detroit Vipers games at the Palace. Uh, they they were a they were a very interesting team. And, and I'll tell you what, hockey is is such a great spectator sport anyway. That even though it was it was technically uh, minor league hockey, it was still fun hockey. And I believe they won the uh, they they won the championship their first year of existence in there. The second year. Uh, one of those, yeah. They did. They definitely won the championship. And didn't Gordy Howe play for the Vipers for a hot minute? For like one, for like one shift, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just just to set uh set the record for having played professional hockey in like five or six consecutive decades. It, it was kind of a stun. I think he was only on the on the ice for one one full shift. And I think the only statistic he delivered was like a check to somebody. But yeah, it, it was still kind of neat at the time. Oh, there's a picture of him here too, and he's playing without a helmet. So, old habits uh, die hard. Apparently, um, we used to go to Vipers games all the time because our school would just give us tickets for free. I don't know why they did this, but they always had a surplus of Vipers tickets, and they would give them away to the kid, you know, kids who had good grades and stuff, and or or I don't know. There was always a, a reason to give a kid some Vipers tickets, but. Uh, yeah, I just showed you that puck that I that I got from like sixth grade. I still have it for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but I played been to plenty of West Michigan Whitecaps games as well. I never did get to go see the Grand Rapids hoops. Um, I know Tony Massenberg was playing there for a minute, and uh, that was exciting. Um, and I never saw the Michigan Panthers, and I, I don't know if I'll see the new version of the Michigan Panthers either. But we'll we'll see. But the ABA, like you know was like the cool the cool expansion league they were like the cool cool league that you could actually see maybe working if they had good business behind it which they did not 
Yeah, but that's the thing, though. I, I think the, the title of the movie, Semi-Pro, kind of does the ABA a disservice. The ABA was not a semi-professional league. They were a professional league. They, they weren't uh, financially as nearly as viable as the NBA was. The NBA had more good players, but the ABA had several players that were better at what they did than anybody the NBA had. Mm-hmm. You're talking about guys like David Thompson, Julius Irving, George Gervin, Artis Gilmore. These are our top shelf, uh, top 10 players on in the world at the time that they were playing in the ABA. So I, I, I think the ABA, even though they were destined to fail, I, I think in the time that they had, I don't think the, the quality of talent took a backseat to anybody. Yeah, and then plus there was, you know, my guy Moses Malone was in the ABA there for a minute. And uh for a minute. Eighteen year old Moses Malone. Yeah. yeah. And uh I think the, the ABA is what uh helped with the Spencer Haywood uh rule as well, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually great for player empowerment because the the NBA had the the, the rule you you needed to be four years uh apart from your high school graduation to to play in the NBA. The ABA didn't care, they just wanted talent. So that they were taking uh, kids straight out of high school uh, in Moses Malone's case, and they really put pressure on the the NBA to change how they dealt with uh, players. They didn't have a monopoly on the game anymore, and I, it it, it was a lot better for for players uh, financially and their their freedom to they they could play the leagues off of each other. The top players could uh, and and simply go to whoever offered them the most money. Uh, in, in Rick Barry's case, where he where he was the best player on a, a Warriors team that went to the finals and immediately jumped to the ABA because they offered a better deal. Yeah. Um, well, the the ABA uh, also brought in a lot of cool things that we know today: the three point line, the slam dunk contest. Um, thank God there's not a thirty second shot clock. Maybe um, thank God the NBA didn't ad- adopt that. That is, that's just a bit too long if you ask me, but, um, but yeah, also, uh, in 1976, the league merged NBA and ABA merged the Spurs, Nets, Pacers, and Nuggets all joined the NBA and, uh, all the other teams did not. Um, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but first let's talk about the Flint tropics. Keith, you were talking about off the air how you thought Flint Tropics was a weird name. And I think I understand it. Um, And I think that it's going to take a little bit of ABA history to, to figure it out. So if you look at, so for example, the Anaheim Amigos became the Los Angeles stars and then became the Utah stars or the Dallas Chaparrals became the Texas Chaparrals before they became the San Antonio Spurs. The Houston Mavericks were the, became the Carolina Cougars and then became the spirits of St. Louis. Uh, the, the Kansas city, the Denver nuggets were the Kansas city nuggets, the Denver larks uh, and Denver rockets. Uh, like you see where I'm going with this. All these teams kept moving and changing their names. Uh, I think that the Flint tropics were probably the, the Florida tropics at one point in time, or there or something else. I think that they were a completely different, a team before Jackie Moon, uh, after he wrote his number one song, Love Me Sexy, uh, and used the money to buy the team and move them to Flint. Look, that I, I can see that. That 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 is a decent argument. I just it would have been so easy to just put that in the movie as an explanation of why we have a team in Flint called the Tropics with the <laughs> palm trees everywhere. Uh but no, look, your explanation makes perfect sense. I just don't think the movie did a good job of presenting that as a viable explanation. Well, it's either that or, as we all know, Flint is uh, very tropical. There's a lot of, of palm course, trees yes. in Flint. As, Every, as all, all of there. us who have been to Flint can attest to, the first thing you think of is, wow, this is this is tropical. This place is tropical. Um, so, yeah, the uh, the movie opens up with... Jackie Moon singing his song "Love Me Sexy," and we get to meet some of the players on the on the team. But uh, more than anything, we get to meet the, I think, the best commentary team in sports movie history. They have better chemistry than the actual players on the court. Uh, they, oh, 
they're just just outstanding uh will arnett is just this is some of his best work i i can't lie I, I look spoiler alert i was not a huge fan of this movie but i was a fan of of a big fan of of two things and the first thing we're going to talk about yeah this commentary team dick pepperfield and lou redwood are the uh the name of the characters and i think dick pepperfield is incredible he does so many like little things that you really have to pay attention to what he's saying but uh like you know when when they take a timeout early on in that game to fight somebody and he says at a timeout with nine minutes and 16 seconds left to go in the first quarter like basically if you're not paying attention he's telling you like this game literally just started <laughs> and they're already taking a timeout or when he says uh the tropics are doing just a horrible job of stabilizing jackie moon's neck because <laughs> they sold the stretcher yeah like that, that's a funny aba joke and he just has such a great announcer voice like a great play-by-play voice he sounds like a guy that could be doing this for a living uh right. it's perfect casting i love the uh when Arnett's like, nobody has done more for the city of Flint than Jackie Moon. And he just kind of, you barely hear him say it, but he's like, well, with the exception of Henry Ford. Ford. <laughs> yes. Maybe, just, just maybe. I wish that uh, George Blaha hosted a weekly, you know, uh, Piston show where he just kind of talked and had somebody on and, um, uh, Tom Gores came on and talked about how he was going to wrestle a bear next week or something like that. I'll give Tom any ideas. Okay. He, <laughs> he, he may be, he may just be drunk enough at one point <laughs> to actually think that's a good idea. Definitely. I mean, a lot of the fans wouldn't mind watching it, but I would, I, I would watch Tom Gores wrestle a bear. I would do it. I, I think some people would pay him to wrestle a bear at this point. Uh, yeah. There's, We'll get into the rest of the cast in a minute, but there, there's one thing that just really kind of rubbed me the wrong way was uh, the, the cliche European, uh, non-English speaking, tall, white basketball player that's in every basketball film ever, uh, Vakaitis, played by actual Loyalist Center, uh, Peter Cornell. He's introduced as being a uh, Lithuanian and let me tell you, in 1976, uh, when the Soviet Union had a firm ironclad grip on the country of Lithuania and was basically using it to fill their basketball roster because that was such a hotbed of uh, basketball talent, uh, there he would not be playing for the Flint Tropics in 1976. He would not be in America in 1976. And I, I don't want to speak for, for Lithuanians that have seen the film, uh, but I can't imagine that any of them were too happy of seeing this presentation uh, of a mid-1970s uh, Eastern Bloc player uh, magically playing for an, a professional American basketball team uh, 15 years before that was even a possibility. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we talked about this on uh, on the Celtic Pride episode, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. There's this weird fascination with basketball movies having this European player who speaks no English, uh, doesn't seem to know where he's at. And it's just, it's, it, it's such a weird, I don't know. It's such a weird thing. Do you think in, in Europe, in Europe, they make basketball movies and they have one American player who's an idiot or I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a weird thing that, that they do. And and it won't be the last time we talk about this because I'm the, you know, I'm looking at every basketball movie on my shelf and pretty much every single one of them, has a European yep. player in it. Yep. There are movies that we have not even discussed on this podcast that have that uh, cliche archetype in there. Yep. So uh, we, we get the game started and, and the key player, the best player on the team is, is not there. And, uh, but he shows up midway through the first quarter, Clarence downtown, funky stuff, coffee, black Malone, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Clarence Malone and it's played by Andre 3000 and you know I we I think that Andre 3000 plays a convincing basketball player he's only five foot ten but in the way yeah. that he the way that he moves he, he he goes through the motions correctly and looks like a 1970s ABA basketball player 
Yeah, we were both kind of surprised with that because he doesn't look 5'10 in the movie. I think they did a good job of surrounding him with with other basketball players that were also not extremely tall, uh, with with the exception of uh, uh, Woody Harrelson, who's actually pretty tall. But if you notice when he's playing in, in the scenes where he's playing basketball, he's crouched down really low in, in order to I think it might actually be in, in order to kind of save um, Andre 3000 from looking too short. Uh, but yeah, he look, I, I thought he did a very credible job of portraying a, a professional basketball player in the 1970s. It's weird. You you wouldn't think that he would be able to do that, uh, at least credibly, but no, he pulls it off. I, I thought his basketball uh, acting was probably better than anyone else in this movie. Uh, I thought he did, did a pretty good job in general. They didn't give him a ton to work with. He's kind of the another cliche the the really talented kid that just doesn't want to work hard or doesn't get it or he's not coachable and he he's just every cliche in this movie uh but i i i thought he was one of the best actors in this movie i i thought he was great too and and uh but i do want to play a little game we'll recast that role uh and i think that you know it's kind of odd that there's not at least one nba player in this movie uh so the movie came out in 2008. What uh, what player, what NBA player would you have put in this movie in that role instead? For Coffee Black? Yeah. You got to change positions and change positions and stuff. Feel free to go uh, crazy with it. Yeah, the problem is like, 90% of the movie, uh, Andre 3000 isn't playing basketball. He's, he's acting. And he's actually a decent actor. So... If, if I put an NBA player, uh, if I replaced him with an NBA player, that means he's got to act for 90% of his his screen time. I just don't know if there's a, an NBA player that's really going to pull that off in 2008. Like, you could have Kobe in there. I mean, Kobe's done a little bit of that, but it's kind of wooden. I don't think he was ever that great in anything. Like, he would be a f- fantastic basketball player, but then you've also got to cast him as a guy that uh, doesn't, play basketball to like he's a guy that's hoping he's going to be in the NBA someday. Like it's Kobe Bryant. I don't, it's really hard to put NBA basketball players uh, in these types of roles, just because the, the facial recognition, everybody automatically knows who that is, especially the people that uh, came to see this movie were basketball fans. So I, I think it would be difficult to to replace Andre 3000 with a real basketball player. I, I think there's a lot of like side roles. Like you, I was surprised we didn't have an NBA basketball player in the movie. Like yeah. Blue Chips, there was a ton of NBA basketball players and it made the movie better because they didn't have to speak. All they had to do was play basketball. But it, as far as a main actor, I don't know. Um, like if the movie remained 15 years before, you could say Penny Hardaway would have been a great option because I thought Penny's acting was pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I I get what you're saying, and it is kind of hard to to pick somebody to to play that role. But I guess a dream a dream would have been Allen Iverson. <laughs> Bring in Allen Iverson to to play the coffee black role. I I I just think there's some uh, maybe there's a little. Uh, parallel there between coffee black and uh and alan iverson me yeah yeah i, I guess i could see that uh but again you you gotta can, can you picture alan iverson acting his way through the, the other parts of that film because i don't know if i could do that I've alan seen, iverson like to talk to the media in general i i've seen ray allen successfully act his way through a movie i think anything's possible uh they really should have cast Shaq in this movie in, in some way, like as an old an old vet, you know, gave him an afro. He's just an old guy who's on the team, you know, they don't they don't realize he's good or something like that. No, they never pass him the ball or something like that. Um but yeah, uh so we get to meet Andre 3000 and we get to get kind of an idea of how bad this basketball team is and how they're just not they're just not a team in any in any way shape or form uh and they learn soon jackie moon learns soon that the nba merger nba aba merger is going to go down and he drives out to the aba uh headquarters and finds out that well 
while the merger is happening, not all the ABA teams are going to be absolved into the NBA and the tropics are going to be a team that is just going to have to disband and there will be some sort of payout. Um, I don't know if, was there an actually in a, a payout for all the, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and this is what I wanted to get to. Uh, essentially there were only six teams left at the, at the time that when the ABA and NBA were talking merger. Well, th- let me rephrase that. They were talking merger well before that, but there were only six teams that were even eligible, would have been even eligible to go to the ABA. Uh, San Diego and Utah both folded very early in that season. Uh, Virginia made it, almost made it all the way through the whole season, uh, but they essentially went defunct. They started missing payments, and they had to fold before the merger even took place. So really what it came down to was six teams. Uh, the, the four we know, uh, the Nuggets, the Nets, the Spurs, and the Pacers, and the, the two that we really uh, don't think of because they agreed to disband as, as terms of the merger uh, were the Spirits of St. Louis, everybody's favorite cautionary tale, and the Kentucky Colonels. Now, the Kentucky Colonels uh, kind of infringed on Chicago's market. The Pacers did that too, but... I think the Bulls wanted the Kentucky market more than the Indiana market. So I, I think the Bulls kind of squeezed out Kentucky, which is kind of a shame because I thought that they would have been a fun NBA team. Uh, but the uh, Kentucky Colonels agreed to cease operations for a $3 million payment, which in 1976 was, was quite a bit, but absolutely nothing compared to what the uh, Spirits of St. Louis got. Uh, the, the Spirits of St. Louis put up a much, much bigger fight. And in, in the end, uh, they agreed to disband and let the other four teams go uh, to the NBA uh, for a one-time payment of $2.2 million and a bonus of one-seventh of the TV revenue of the Pacers, the Spurs, uh, the Nuggets, and the Nets forever. So they got... So they got one seventh of the TV revenue of the combined TV revenue of those four teams annually forever. Now, though the, the owners that negotiated the deal, I think they were brothers. Uh, they were business partners or brothers. I can't remember which. I'm kind of embarrassed for that. Uh, but I, I believe they they negotiated a settlement a little while ago. But just to show you exactly what one-seventh of the TV revenue share of four teams in the NBA is, uh, last season alone, it would have been $49 million. Just wow. last season, it would wow. have been $49 million. And this was a this was a deal that they had going starting in 1976. So for 40-something years before they finally – agreed to settle with the NBA uh, prior to their last uh, TV deal, th- they were getting enormous checks uh, in the, they were, they were practically uh, billionaires just, just, just for agreeing to fold the team. Uh, there were, there was actually uh, uh, one of those mini 30 for thirties on it. it. It's really neat. Uh, but yeah, that the spirits of St. Louis is, is one of those, interesting side stories in NBA history where they agreed to uh, essentially fold the team and they became just two of the richest people associated with the NBA uh, as a byproduct of that. It, it, it was a crazy, crazy story. That's insane. I mean, you got to think that at the time, the NBA, their TV market isn't, isn't very big at that time. They probably didn't have, you know they probably didn't have any qualms oh, no, for making nothing. that deal. Yeah, it was nothing at the time, but these guys had the foresight to understand that basketball was only going to continue to grow. Yeah, and one seventh of of a TV revenue share of four different teams would be an enormous, enormous boost. And by the eighties, I mean, yeah, they were probably already they were millionaires by the eighties, like easily. Well, I mean, they were millionaires anyway because well, they, right, you got two. Right. Million- dollars is just to sign the contract but yeah i i would say around the time the nba probably signed their their re uh their new deal with uh cbs around the mid 80s to, to finish out the decade i think that's probably around the time the nba realized they really screwed up well 
Jackie Moon's going to learn that yes, he's uh, he's not going to the NBA, but they're going to the him and the rest of the ABA owners are going to come up with this idea that isn't going to eventually stick, but they're going to come up with this idea where it should be a performance based uh, merger where the best four teams should go. Which I don't know makes sense so, to me. No, I guess it makes no sense at all. Uh, no? first, off, first off, the ABA does not get to dictate who goes to the NBA. The NBA dictates that. Right. They say we will take this team, this team, this team, and we'll we'll take these markets. Like I just got done telling you, the Chicago Bulls didn't want the Kentucky Colonels in the NBA because of uh, they 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 didn't they wanted that Kentucky market. Like it, it didn't matter who played on these teams or how good or how bad they were. Like Julius Irving finished the season at, on the league champion uh, New York Nets. He never played for the Nets in the NBA. He was sold to this Philadelphia 76ers. They didn't take the Nets because of Julius Irving. They took it because it's another New York mark New York, New Jersey market team, which by the way, the Knicks raised hell over that. Yeah, I can imagine. Um all right. Well the idea is that the tropics need to get up to fourth place. So yeah. Jackie Moon does uh what any owner would do. Uh he goes out and he gets himself uh a player that he believes can help facilitate that, but but he's going to have to trade something for that for that player, and uh, and he's going to trade his washing machine. They trade away the Flint Tropics washing machine to the uh, uh, who did they, what team did that come from? Kentucky, I think. They traded him to Kentucky uh, for yeah. for Ed Monix, who apparently was an old Boston Celtic who won a championship uh, from the bench. Um, and uh, and then found his way into the ABA. It seems like a, a very familiar story that we've kind of heard before. I asked yeah. Keith off air if he could present to me an NBA comp for uh, for Ed Monix and uh, who'd you pick, Keith? Uh, Paul. After after a few minutes, I came up with Paul Westfall, who I'm I'm now starting to convince myself he may he may actually have been loosely based on the character uh, or. Ed Monix may actually have been loosely based on Paul Westfall uh, because I think it's just too perfect. Uh, yeah, the the Phoenix Suns aren't and were in an ABA team, but the bottom line is uh, Paul Westfall, uh, excellent basketball player. No, no one really knew that while he was on the Celtics because the Celtics were so talented and he was, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth man. Uh, he, he did not watch every playoff game from the bench. He played, but he played, you know, 13 minutes, averaged five, six points, a lot of it garbage time. And he, he won a ring with the Celtics in 1974 and the Celtics let him go because they didn't really know what they had. And lo and behold, he joins the Phoenix Suns who were a, a, a relatively new NBA team at the time. And two years later, he actually leads the Suns back to the finals uh, he's their best player or one of their two best players and leads them to the finals in 1976 uh, against uh, the Celtics. And he later becomes a coach, which is another parallel that you pointed out yeah. uh, that we will see play out in this movie for Edmonics. Although I would think that Paul Westfall might be a little bit more uh, controlled and uh, relaxed <laughs> than Edmonics is. I don't think Paul Westfall would ever kick uh the window out of a police car but i don't know i've never hung out with paul westfall i don't know how he parties maybe maybe he gets crazy uh so the team decides to uh to to well first there's going to be a, a fantastic fight scene uh in anaheim where they now they can't they can't fight on tv because the commissioner will see it and that could ruin their ability to to go into a merger so they call a timeout and then everybody starts fighting, and it's a really great scene. And uh, Father Pat, the referee, gets gets you a little bit of Jeff Van Gundy action, where he's trying to uh, to, to keep the players from fighting. He's being drugged across the court by someone's foot. Uh, Lou Redwood hits that guy over the head with a phone. Uh, just great, great stuff. And I mean, I I don't remember enough about the ABA because I I wasn't alive for it and I didn't I didn't learn too much about it. But was that league was the league kind of known for fighting? In general, basketball was known for fighting. The NBA was was known for fighting. Uh, uh, Rudy Tomjanovich nearly got his life ended during a fight uh, around yeah. that time. I want to say nineteen seventy seven uh, with the with the Houston Rockets by by Kermit Washington. 
uh, it wasn't just an ABA thing. Well, I'm, I'm sure the ABA had plenty of fighting uh, because the NBA had it too, and you had the same play, uh, caliber of player in, in both leagues, essentially. But yeah, this is kind of a funny ABA joke where they're just trying to get to the finish line and they just don't want anyone to, to rock the boat too much. And so they're just saying, please, no fighting, you know, on camera. So it, it's great how they how they, they fit this massive ben, uh, bench-clearing brawl in during the commercial break. And you have the, the family with two children uh, watching. <laughs> you see it through their eyes where, where they take the break, the commercial break, and they're watching commercials, and then they cut back, and everyone stops fighting, and they're just patting each other on the back really hard. I think it's great. And uh, how about a commercial for Shasta Soda? When was the last time you had a Shasta Soda? I don't think I ever have, to be honest with you. They're not still around, right? No, they are, they are still around, yeah. Is that like a California thing now? They they are from originally from California. Um, okay. There was... Why would they be advertising in Flint? Well, I, I could tell you here, growing up in Holland... Uh, there were some gas stations that would sell Shasta's and they were cheap. So my parents would always get those when we would like uh, go to the movies and we'd, we'd hide them in our pockets and stuff. So, uh, but I haven't seen them in a while, but according to their website, Shasta is still, still around, still in service. They're kind of like Northern California's version of Fago essentially. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they have anything as good as Red Pop or Rock and Rye, though. Ah, oh, jeez. When was the last time you even had a Fago? Every time I go back to Michigan. I, I will bring home a case of Red Pop back to North Carolina with me uh, when I can. We were uh, we were not allowed to drink Red Pop as as kids. For obvious, yeah, had, for obvious a, reasons. There's I mean, actually that, an old, old Red Pop factory. I mean, of course, it, no one was using it at the time when I was growing up, but there was an old Red Pop factory, I don't know, across town from where I grew up. I used to drive by it all the time. It was, I always thought it was neat. That stuff is an instant stain waiting to happen. It is. It <laughs> yeah, is. That's why we weren't allowed to have it. Yes, that's my mother hated Red Pop. That's why I never actually got it too many times, unless it was my birthday or something. Because, right. yes, it, Inevitably, someone would knock the cup over, and then you would get screamed at for five minutes because that's you're right. That stain's not coming out. Right, and it seems like in the '90s, carpet was uh, like three colors, and they were all a version of white. Yep. <laughs> so yes, uh, uh, Monix is going to um, Monix is going to then kind of get in everybody's face and and after after the fight and talk about how nobody you know everybody wants to focus on everything else, but nobody wants to think about the game. And this is going to lead to some of the players coming together, uh, Coffee Black being one of them, and asking for Monix to become their coach. Uh, of course, uh, Jackie Moon doesn't handle this in the best way initially, uh, but but once Monix dis- uh, it, it explains to him that he's going to be the offensive and defensive coordinator and Moon could still be the head coach, well, then everything starts to work out. And then uh, eventually they're going to run what they call the offense, which I couldn't really tell what was going on, but you were a little bit more X's and O's than I can. Keith, can you tell what they're running there? It just looked like basic, basic motion offense. It, it's a lot of movement. Uh, but it, I mean, you, you see high school teams doing that. It, it's just, you're basically, you're trying to get teacher players to, to stay in constant motion all the time, cut off the ball, yeah, basic stuff, which, it's not too far removed from what they were running in the 1970s. I just, it, it, it wasn't that elaborate, but I didn't think it needed to be. It just, they just needed a, a decent basketball set. And that's what it was. Well, get ready to learn about some, uh, uh, the human anatomy, because uh, we learned a little bit about something called the jejunum in this movie, which is apparently a part of the small intestine when, uh, and if when punched, it will make you throw up. Uh, so I decided to do a little fact checking, a little looking into what the jejunum is, and it, it is, and it is actual part of your body. It is, it is part of the small intestine. I couldn't find anything that says if you punch someone there, they'll throw up. But uh, I did find this: the jejunum is derived from the Latin word jejunus, which means uh, fasting. It was so called this because 
it was part of the small intestine when uh, that that was void of food following death so when uh back in back in the old days when they would go through you know your your organs after you died they the jejunum would be like the only part of your intestines that didn't have food in it so that that's why they called it the jejunus I, I'm shocked that I actually learned something from this movie because I just assumed that wasn't a real a real thing. I, it just sounds like something that someone made up because it sounded funny. But no, I I, I have been educated on this. I had no idea that the jejunum was a, a an actual part of the human body. That does not make the the whole um, that that Will Ferrell's uh, I've never thrown up in my entire life bit any funnier. I thought it was kind of plain, uh, but at least now I feel like I've learned something from it. You know, I, I I should have checked in to see if there was any case of uh, of somebody being able to not throw up in their entire life, uh, but I but I did not look it, into that. But uh, maybe there was a PBS story done about it. it but uh, but yeah, he gets everybody to puke, and then uh, then we kind of we start to see this team starting to come together, uh, especially in their uh, second game against the Nets in this in this movie where uh, it's corn dog night at the uh at the flint fairgrounds and uh yeah this that's that's where you see vakitis uh not understanding english and scoring an extra point and uh at some point in time something has to be done about jackie moon and his promises he's not he's not coming through with any of them bush bavarian doesn't even sponsor the team yet he's he's claiming that they are and that they're going to pay uh jackie earl haley ten thousand dollars uh, for making a making full a court, court shot. shot, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's probably lucky he didn't make the NBA because Bush Bavarian would probably have sued them out of existence for for claiming a sponsorship tie to them that didn't actually exist. Yeah. Speaking of Bush Bavarian, we learned before the uh, show started that Bush Bavar Bush uh, beer that you you I don't know you probably drink if you uh, live out in the sticks somewhere. I don't know. Uh, when I lived down south, a lot of people drank it, or I think a lot of people in the UP probably enjoy Bush every now and again. Bush and Bush Light used to be called Bush Bavarian uh, until 1979, which was three years after the NBA ABA merger, and then they just went to Bush. So that explains Bush Bavarian. The film got this right; they nailed it. Of all the things that they didn't get right, they actually got this right. I was surprised. Yeah. Uh. <clears throat> So yeah, um, I don't know. You know, if 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 I went to a basketball game and I was promised free corn dog and they didn't make with the corn dogs, I don't know. There maybe there's a riot in Flint after that later that night. Probably, yeah. For a free corn dog in 1976. You, if you promise that and you don't deliver uh, to however many fans that you pack the the stadium with, uh, you, you're probably going to be paying a lot more in um, <laughs> in damage in damages and insurance claims. Uh, because they probably will not leave peacefully. Well, the team is uh, team. Things are starting to come together. Attendance is starting to go up. The team's starting to win. Everything's going well. The commissioner is going to be coming to town soon, and they need a stunt that could fill up that building. They need to sell out the Flint Fairgrounds. So Jackie Moon goes out to uh, Tropics Weekly. Uh, and decides he is going to uh, announce that he's going to wrestle a bear at half court during halftime. And Keith, this was, uh, you said your favorite part of the movie. Yep, there's, there's two things in this movie that I absolutely loved. One was the broadcast team, and the other one was this one, the the, the, the bear wrestling scene with Will Ferrell, uh, where he's, he's justifiably scared to death of wrestling a live bear. And then... He gets a little overconfident because the bear is a little timid, and then the bear just mauls just just mauls him, and then gets loose and starts mauling the entire uh, arena. Uh, which I, I thought that I thought the whole bit was funny. It, yeah. it just I even rewatching it, I thought it, I, I laughed the whole time. But I think that kind of sums up my problem with this film: is that this this scene did, did not need to be in the movie. It was just there because it was funny. Right. Uh, it it. it, it it was there because the the rest of the movie wasn't necessarily um, a, a big laugh. It was it, this movie to me kind of tries to be a Will Ferrell movie, and it tries to be kind of an ode to the NBA or the ABA. 
and it, I don't think it does a good enough job of being either. Uh, th this was the one scene where it was just, all right, we're, we're not trying too hard here. We're just going to throw, uh, we're going to throw Will Ferrell into a, into an octagon with a live bear. And we're just going to let that scene uh, tell its own story. I, I, I thought it was, it, it, it kind of pays off in the very last scene of the movie, which I, <laughs> I actually forgot was coming. Yes. That, that bear does come back later on and it takes Andy Richter out. Uh, twice actually comes back twice and takes Andy Richter out. Uh, but yeah, uh, so the commissioner shows up during during. I always thought it was funny how he walks right out of the cage and just starts talking to the commissioner while there's absolute chaos happening behind him in the in the in the arena. Uh, and well, it was at this point that the commissioner notifies uh, Jackie Moon what we all knew was coming anyways is that the the. NBA has chosen to go with exactly the four teams that they have yeah, chosen the to go NBA with. NBA has chosen. They don't care. They're not going to give the city of Flint an NBA franchise. What if? What if though? I mean, geez, what if? Oh, the the Pistons would throw a fit. Yeah. No, that's I, I get it. I get it. It would be very interesting to to be to live in a state that has multiple pro sports teams but, though or multiple yeah, pro basketball teams. but because we, we need some drama uh jackie moon just to give uh coffee black his, his nba shot trades him to one of the four teams that was that was going to go to the nba and the spurs yeah. which implies that you needed to be on in one of those teams in order to make the nba which as we all know was just a load of crap it wasn't true we had this thing called an aba dispersal draft uh, all of the good players that were on the teams that didn't make it still got had their own special draft to make it into the uh, NBA. It wasn't a, oh, we're only going to take the players that are on these teams. Like uh, all of the teams had really good players. That's the whole, that was the whole point of the story of the ABA. They had some very, very talented players on just about every team that were worthy of being in the NBA. So the whole point of trading coffee to the Spurs before the last game of the season was 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 entirely pointless. Well, that, you know, that's a that's a pretty solid point. And uh, so Coffee Black would have had a chance to get to the NBA regardless of whether he played for the yeah, Spurs. If or you're not. good enough, the NBA is going is going to find you. Yeah. Hence, uh, you know, the obvious examples that we have. Yeah. And, uh, and if I can interrupt, it, oh, you bet. You're kind of thinking this whole time, uh, okay, well, this is going to make for some interesting theater because now Coffee's got to play against his old team, and nope, that just doesn't happen. Uh, first of all, the Spurs don't want him there. They're not happy to have him, so which makes you wonder why they traded for him to begin with. And then when the coach tries to sub him in uh, early on in the game, uh, this last game, the, this very final game uh, for the Flint Tropics, which is against the Spurs, uh, you know, he fakes an injury and says he doesn't want to come in. So the, the whole plot of him playing for the other team kind of falls flat. Speaking of the Spurs and, and the Nets too, and the ABA, I think that they just missed, they missed the opportunity to cast somebody to play Dr. J and George Gervin. Yeah. And, you know, the ABA had a lot of, they had a lot of big stuff. And we just didn't really see any of those guys represented in this movie at all. And it just made it seem like, it made it seem like a semi-pro league. Yeah, and that's when I said they they didn't try hard enough to make it an ode to the ABA. This is kind of it because look, the Nets had Julius Serving in their final season. The Spurs had uh, George Gervin, one of the greatest scorers of all time. Yes, maybe it would have been really hard to find an actor that could uh, accurately portray those players on a basketball basketball court. I would have just said. Just find an NBA player. Don't even give him any lines. Uh, get Kevin Durant out there for I. I don't think Kevin Durant was in the NBA at that pick. What, what was this movie? Two thousand eight. Yeah. Well, it came actually oh, hit no, theaters in two thousand nine. Kevin Durant then. Yeah. yeah just get, like, he's always been my comp for George Gervin anyway. Yeah. Uh, but the, the point is, yeah, you could have gotten one or two well-established NBA guys. Ask them if they want to be in a Will Ferrell movie uh, for five minutes and just have them go out and play basketball. And uh, they probably would have agreed and you would have had a, a better movie, but I don't, I just don't think they tried hard enough uh, to make uh, the, the ABA basketball uh, more. I, I don't know. They didn't convince me, I guess is the, the, the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, well, you know, I guess if you're Dr. J, uh, 
the like it, it's hard to watch the New York Nets and not like there's no Julius serving. So Julius serving, yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're in the AB, I mean, if you're Dr. J or George Gervin or anybody like that, are you going to read this script and think that they're making fun of the ABA or and maybe that's why you maybe want well, your you name kept out of it? Yeah, but you see Will Ferrell in it, and you, you 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 know it's a comedy. He's a well-established. This is the fourth sports movie of Will Ferrell's career at this point, yeah. following Kicking and Screaming, Talladega Nights, Blades of Glory. Uh, you yeah, you know what you're going to get. I don't think they tried to be insulting to the ABA. I just didn't think they they did a good enough job of representing them. Okay. Well, uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, there's going to be one more game left in the season: the Flint, Michigan uh mega bowl it's it's all for fourth place spurs versus tropics um it's it's a it's a fun game will uh jackie moon gets knocked out and uh has a dream has a fever dream where he meets his mother who is uh i think it was patty labelle and she gives him the idea for this brand new play called the alley-oop and keith hates this Yes, because the idea that no one had ever thrown it or seen an alley pass thrown until 1976 just what it makes my head explode. Um, Will Chamberlain, uh, one of the most athletic finishing centers of all time, has already retired at this point. He has played a full career. Uh, Bill Russell, another one of the most athletic centers of all time, has played a full career. No one had ever seen either of these guys dunk a pass or, or a shot or anything like the, the, the concept of someone jumping up in the air and, and taking a ball that was not going to go in and just shoving it through there. That was apparently unheard of for everybody. Like I, I get why the casual fan would look at this. Oh, 1970s. Yeah. They, they could only dribble with one hand back then. Ah, they, they obviously never saw an alley-oop because no one could jump. They were all five ten white guys. I, as a historian, this this kind of stabs me in the heart because this is very bad history. I, I don't think it makes the movie any worse, uh, but as a as a fan of, of the sport itself, it's hard for me to watch. It's my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I think it's funny, um, but I could understand uh, why why you would dislike it because it doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because. I, I do even remember sitting in the theater watching this movie for the first time thinking that, I mean, the alley hoop had been around before that. Like I've, I've seen the alley hoop in black and white. I I know I have, um, but yeah, you know, I think, um, I think maybe if anything, that was kind of a nod to the, to the ABA kind of bringing flash and flair to the game that the NBA hadn't really, right. hadn't really shown it before that. Yeah. I, Again, it it doesn't ruin the for me. It kind of hurts the movie. For me, it kind of hurts. But I understand why ninety nine out of a hundred people wouldn't even consider the fact that this would be very out of place in nineteen seventy six. But I I think the actual worst part is uh, that that coffee black, which we we kind of skipped over. He 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 begins the game on the San Antonio Spurs. He doesn't want to play against his old team. Uh, and instead of being forced to play, which would have been kind of interesting, he 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 simply takes off his jersey and puts on a Flint Tropics jersey, comes out at halftime, playing for the Flint Tropics. This is a, a professional basketball player, presumably under contract with the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, but they are kind of cool with it. They're like, okay, fine, you don't want to play for our team. Uh, good riddance. And then he, he gets to play the second half for the Tropics for, for some reason. And everyone's okay with it. And he's the one that's dunking down these alley-oops, which, okay. Uh, but, and, and we don't really need to, it's it's a cliche ending that's, that every single basketball movie ever made has where they went at the buzzer. And, yeah, you know, Coffee Black has essentially embarrassed the entire Spurs organization <laughs> at, by, by thumbing his nose at them and playing for the other team. And after the game is over, they're like, hey, um, now that you don't have a team anymore, maybe you could come back and play for us. What? I, <laughs> I, 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 
I actually started laughing at that. And I don't, it wasn't intended as, as a joke, but it came off as a joke because of how ludicrous it was. Oh, yeah, no, uh, it's, yeah, it doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. I think the Spurs would probably be, they already didn't want him there, uh, yeah. which is, which we already agreed was weird that they traded for him in the first place. Uh, but then he literally leaves them halfway through a game to go play for the team that they're playing against. And that makes them want him there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Makes no sense at all. Uh, but yeah, the, the things come full circle at the end. Uh, the, the very last scene where the, the commissioner tells uh, Jackie Moon, hey, even though you, you've lost your team, which is interesting because they, they qualified for fourth place, which means they should be going to the ABA playoffs next week. But I guess that doesn't exist in this universe. The no. ABA still had a still had a fourteen playoff in nineteen seventy six. Uh, but in any case, uh, he, he offers Jackie a job um, transitioning to the uh, NBA as a promoter, which makes perfect sense uh, for the movie. And then he says, "As as long as I'm alive, mark my words. As long as I'm alive, you'll always have." And then the the bear from the middle of the movie comes out and attacks him. I thought that was a that was a f- fun way to end it. Well, for fun, uh, so the 1976 ABA playoffs. Uh, if if we're saying that fourth place is what you needed to get, that would have put the uh, that would have put the the Tropics in a game against the or in a series, I should say, against uh, the Indiana Pacers. They would have played them in the quarterfinals. Um, and they would they would taken the Kentucky Colonels sp- uh, spot basically, and then if they would have beaten them, they would have went on to play the Denver Nuggets, who then would have beaten them to go to the uh, ABA Finals, where they would lose to the New York Nets. Julius serving and the New York Nets, and that's it. That was the last. That's it. That's the ABA. The ABA is over. You know. What, you know what the worst thing is? I just realized. Uh... <laughs> The ABA actually didn't have a four-team playoff. They had a five-team playoff. Five team playoff. They essentially had a they had, they had a best of three play-in between the fourth seed and the fifth seed. Yeah. So even if the Tropics had lost the game, they would still have gone to the playoffs against the against the Spurs. <laughs> yeah. So so in actuality, winning that game meant nothing. It meant nothing at all. Nothing at all. Well, you know they they. Uh... They do kind of make light of that in the movie where, you know, he just keeps saying Flint, Michigan, Tropic, you know, uh, uh, Mega Bowl. And they're like, yeah, but what is that? It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. It's just a game like it's just a regular old game that they made it out to uh, to seem like it was a big deal. But well, that's uh, that's semi pro. I like this movie. Keith, you're I guess you're not a fan. Um, you know, it's it's not your favorite Will Ferrell movie. I get that. That makes sense. Uh, for me, kicking and screaming, I think is the worst Will Ferrell movie. I did not. I, I laugh, agree. Did not it, laugh it, once it, at that yeah. movie. No, I, I don't hate this movie. I just don't think it was very good. I, I like just I, I nothing this movie. I, I yeah. don't hate it. I don't love it. I think this movie tries too hard uh, to be two different things, and it winds up being neither. I, I think it's very telling that we went basically the entire. Uh, the entire way through this pod without even bringing up uh, Will Ferrell's character, Jackie Moon more than once or twice. And only in context to when, how, how other characters are interacting with him. Yeah. Uh, because w- Will Ferrell uh, outside of that bear scene, which allowed Will Ferrell to be Will Ferrell. I, I don't think he actually had a ton to do in this, in this film. And he was the lead actor. He didn't have any real memorable moments outside of wrestling a bear. I, I think that's kind of, uh, what makes this film kind of mediocre to me. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's very good. And as a ode to the ABA, it's fun, but I think it's very inaccurate in a lot of ways. You know what I would really like is a winning time style show about the ABA. That I would agree. be that would be fantastic. When they're done with the Lakers, they should do that. That would be fun. I would watch I would watch every episode. You you could center it around the Nets. I mean, I'm sure that's what they would do regardless because you know you want to tell the Dr. J story over anything, but uh, but yeah, I would love to see something like that. Or it uh did the 30 for 30 ever do anything on the ABA? Uh yeah. Yeah, the well it was 
the whole thing was centered around the uh well centered on the the St. Louis Spirits. All right. And, and actually, believe it or not, do you know who their who the Saint who the Spirits of St. Louis, who their play by play guy was? No. Uh you you would know him very well. Uh you, you've watched many, many basketball games uh hearing his voice. Kevin Arlen? Uh Bob Costas. Bob Costas. Oh, Bob Costas. Bob Costas. Costas. Wow. That's how he got his start, was doing play by play for the Spirits of St. Louis. Really? Yep. Wow. I did not know that. Uh, but yeah, that's gonna that's gonna wrap up semi pro. That's gonna wrap up today's episode. Obviously, next week is the big one. Tune in. We've got Isaiah Thomas coming on. We cannot wait to talk with him. We've got so many questions. I can't wait to talk to him about his appearance on Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You knew that was going to be coming from me. I'm sure Keith is going to have a lot more uh, poignant questions to ask him, but uh, I'm going to nerd out for sure. I might even ask him about the Dunham's commercial. We'll we'll see. But uh, next week, Isaiah Thomas, we're going to be uh, going a little early next week. So the episode will not be coming out on the new days, which is Thursday. It will be coming out on Tuesday next week. And uh, we can't wait to show it to you. See you then.